Hey everyone, Pastor Joe here. Uh, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Today I'm joined by Reverend Kristen Joyner. Uh, Kristen is the deacon here at Bothell United Methodist Church, uh, connecting the church with the community and the community with the church. She is passionate about justice issues here locally and globally, uh, connecting with uh, partners and, and working ecumenically to uh, increase uh, services for people experiencing poverty and homelessness. She is somebody who embodies the concept of living out your faith and we get to hear a little bit about her story as well as a challenge for all of us on how we might see the world through this lens of faith it's a great conversation we hope you enjoy check it out All right. Well, Kristen, thanks for joining us on Bothell Amplified. We wanted to make sure that you were on uh, one of our first episodes. And here we are on our third conversation. And we are grateful for you taking the time today. Glad to be here. Awesome. And so one of the things that I was thinking about of how we talk about the ways that we see the things we do in life from a lens of faith. And you and I, we actually met, I was thinking back uh, six years ago, so 2015, and we've got a chance to work together in a variety of capacities. You just posted on Facebook a, uh, a uh, what is it called? Memory. A uh, <laughs> memory. Yeah, a memory of, of, of when we graduated Claremont together. And so we've been, we've been through a journey. Um, but let's go back to um, 2015 because you began your uh, uh, call into ministry uh, around then. But even before then, you were already actively working in the life of the church. So uh, talk us through uh, what you were doing before your, uh, you felt this call to ministry or before you heard or before you decided to act on this call. Yeah, well, immediately before... I had been a, a active layperson at Bothell United Methodist Church. I had been involved in ministries for children. I had been involved in what was called the Coordinating Council at that time. I'd been involved in United Methodist Women. I'd been involved in in missions uh, and youth, and I had just been in the community for a really long time, and felt like I'd, I'd done a lot as a layperson in, I felt like I'd done a lot as a layperson at the church, but I felt like I wasn't really fulfilling what everything I was being called to do. Well, let's go back to real quick, because uh, with the amount of things that you're doing in the church and outside the church, like that, that already is a lot. Where did that drive come from? Where did you, why, why did you feel uh, this desire compelling to be so engaged in both inside and outside the church? Well, my church story, I always call it a really boring one. I don't have one of those exciting, <laughs> you know, huge transformational stories. I was brought up in the church in Bellevue, Washington, pretty white community. Boeing was the biggest uh, employer at the time. My dad worked for Boeing. Um, grew up going to Sunday school and church every Sunday, vacation Bible school every summer as a youth, was active in the youth group. When I was a youth, they, they had a great youth pastor, but they didn't have a youth leadership position. But when I was very active in leadership and they created a position so that I could be the youth leader, um, so that they had a representative who was a youth as a leader in the church. And so I just was very supported in my leadership abilities throughout church. The whole time I was there as a youth, I was often a speaker. Uh, you know, after our youth would do things, I would be called upon to speak to the congregation about what, what our mission trip mm. was or whatever uh, we had, had done recently. And so 
you know, I, I grew up in the church and I think that was a huge part of me feeling like church was a home for me and that I had gifts and skills uh, for the people in the congregation and for the community at that time. So I always kind of knew that and I never drifted too far from that. I I knew I was going to work uh, as a in a career that would help people that would be something I very I valued very much would be to use my gifts in a way that was, you know, solutions to problems or helping people. And I got a bachelor's degree at Western Washington University in Bellingham in human services as a counselor. And I thought I was going to be a counselor. And that didn't work out. Finding employment after college wasn't uh was it as easy as as I wanted it to be? And I ended up uh, I ended up working in human resources, and uh, did that for many years in the hotel business, and then in a, a conference center that was part of a research center. And all of that was great, and and I liked being in the business world, but my heart was really always in the church. I frequently found I didn't have enough time to go to work because I had too many volunteer activities with the church that I much preferred doing. And so so I left the human resources field in the, when was that? The, the late 90s, I guess. And I had small children and I, I had a position where I had been traveling a lot. And, you know, I thought I was going to really like traveling, but it ended up just being to, it just got in the way too much of the work I really liked to do, which was with church. And so we made the decision, my husband and I, that we would live on one income and I would be around for the kids and to be able to do what I really wanted to do, which was all the volunteer work through the church. And we'd live on his income and that worked out for us for a long time. Um, so I was able to become part of the leadership at Bothell United Methodist Church as a, as a as a lay person. And so I think for, for, from what I'm hearing, there's this both the combination of wanting to help others and serve others and be part of that community building aspect. But there's that piece around faith too, because it was where the church, where you found the connection and those opportunities to do that. What was it about the church that drew you as opposed to some other organizations or variety of great community service uh, organizations that, that do exist? Was there something about the church itself that kind of drew you in? I will say that I probably didn't know it at the time, but one of the things I always knew growing up in a white suburb of Seattle in Bellevue was that I knew that God had created an earth um, that was much more diverse than I could see. And I didn't, you know, back then people weren't traveling as much as people, travel just wasn't as easy as it is now. And I had dreams of of traveling because it wasn't about going to see great historical monuments or things like that. For me, I always wanted to travel and go someplace different because I want I knew there was more and different that I could learn from out in the world with people. And you know, from Bellevue, I always said, you know, oh, I'm going to go to Africa someday. Why Africa? Where in Africa? What difference does it make? I, at the time, you know, as a high school person, was thinking, what what's the most different place in the world I can think of? Why not go there? Um, and so I, I it, early on, I thought, I want to go to Africa someday, just because I want to see the breadth and depth and width of what God has created in people. And for me, like I said, it was about learning from other people. I, I, um, 
I knew that as big and wide as the earth was and the, the diversity and people that was out there, there, that for me to meet those people that were so different from me also meant I was meeting more of who God is. So I think for me, this, this idea of I want to get out in the world and I want to travel and I want to go, go meet different people and see different ways of doing things was because I wanted to see, I wanted to see that diversity in, in, what God had created. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, that desire for you, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, things that we've talked about, you've been to the Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, multiple times, Haiti, Philippines, across the United States. Uh, I know you've led teams for us uh, here at Bothell, going to Salt Lake city, uh, going to North Dakota, even across Washington. There's this, uh, this, um, yearning to see the beauty in creation, not just in nature, but in people and the diversity that God has created. What are some lessons that you uh, took away from those, all those experiences that you uh, got a, a chance to do and, and experience? You know, uh, for a long time, I was um, the chair of the missions team. And we, we, the church, have used that term mission in such um, interesting ways. I, I sometimes don't like to use it anymore because I feel like the church, you know, has caused harm to different cultures in different places over the years. And it it feels like I'm saying horrible things about our ancestors and the legacies of the people who built the church. But I, I do believe they thought they were doing the right thing. But in hindsight, you know, going into other cultures and taking away the culture that existed to then supplant it with a culture they thought was the only way to do things um is i think how mission was for a long time and and what what i always wanted to figure out with the traveling and going to the different places around the world was i don't think everybody else is doing it wrong mm. so so how can we go in and want to change everything um if they're not doing it wrong what can we learn first about being in relationship with people from different cultures without putting our uh, expectations on on those cultures. And um, it's been really hard. You know, whenever I tell people I've been to different places in the world, you know, like, as you said, you know, Haiti, Philippines, the Congo, Senegal, there's an expectation sometimes that if you go on a mission from the with the church to any country other country than the United States, you're going there to fix some problem. Um, or you're going there to help those people that are needy. Um, and while it's true that we have a lot of privilege and resources we can share, so do those cultures. Yeah. And I think the biggest lesson for me in meeting people who have less material goods than us is the, the richness in the resources that they do have. And the value of those relationships to me um, while we work together to imagine no malaria or while we work together to um, take care of people who don't have homes because of an earthquake, there's still, there's still this great honor between people and development of trust and relationships. It's so much more important. Um, and, and what I've taken from all of those trips is the people I've met and the values they have. And, and um, we have so much to learn from that. 
I think that's the biggest lesson in mission that I've learned. Yeah. And there's this walking alongside piece that I think that you uh, embody uh, so well is, is, and, you know, having, um, having been on some of these trips with you, having shared and debriefed with you as well, this idea that the power, the power dynamics that often we go into these situations and say, well, we have these resources and they don't. Therefore, whereas I think this idea of, you know, how do we uh, uh, support each other and each other's needs, right? And we're walking alongside together and we're choosing to do relationship together. And I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing that we often forget even in our own communities. And so there are times when we go, I'm, I'm thinking about the Great Commission text in Matthew where, you know, therefore go and make disciples. And we, we so often think of that as this uh, instructive commandment to go and fix everyone else. And, and, and the reality that we're it's it's a it's an it's a call to continue living your life as you are doing so being a disciple and journeying with others who are on that same journey towards discipleship where how do you apply that back home and so we you know you go on these trips you experience and you build these relationships you develop this love for one another you love your neighbor and you see the beauty and diversity of god and we come home and often there's this you know there there's there are times when we look at our immediate society or community and say oh we're good we're okay and then and then we realize that you know what we have neighbors here at home how do we address the things that are going on around us uh, locally. I think we're the ones that are supposed to become the disciples, not we're supposed to go, you know, confer upon other people that they must be disciples. I think that when the church sends people out, it's 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 the church making us who are going out disciples. Um, but to go into the community, I, I think with the knowledge of, well, first of all, with humility and with an understanding that Every, every person is so unique and everybody's story is so unique and everybody's culture, you know, could be different. And that, that when you look at the globe and you put a little pinprick in the city that you're from, you have to realize that how you do things in that one little pinprick on the globe is not the only way to do things. And then you just you know, zero in on any community, and it's the same concept. Everything is contextual. And so what works for me, what's right for me, what, what I think is the right answer is true for me. But I have a particular context I'm coming from and other people don't. And I've learned that very uh, deeply with people who live outside um, the, the kinds of solutions, I think that we often want to put on on people come from our own understanding of how we've lived our lives, not the lives that that other person is living. And so, you know, with the humility to really listen to what they say they need, um, and at the same time, you know, using our privilege and knowledge and breadth of understanding about what's going on in the world, you know, to convey resources and information to people, but still go into a community knowing that what's right for me not might not be what's right for the other person. And, I, and, and that, I think, is really com- comes from a place of going, traveling and seeing different ways that things are done. And, you know, at first being astonished that's, that certain things can happen a certain way and then realizing all the reasons why that works and that you just have to 
understand that again everything is contextual yeah i'm thinking about um you know shane claiborne talks about how he had this such desire to go learn from mother Teresa, and he would you know try over and over to try to go over there and and um and he would he ended up calling her and getting through and saying hey i want to come see you and and he ended up going and it's it's a great story of how he got to serve and learn and uh, work alongside mother Teresa. but uh the the phrase um, that she bestows upon him is saying hey like find your own calcutta Right. Like this Calcutta is is where God led me, Mother Teresa, to be part of the work and mission and ministry there. Shane and and Kristen and Joe and, you know, like where where is your Calcutta? Where's the place that you're going to have that impact where God is opening your eyes to see uh, the the brokenness around us? Um, And I I don't mean brokenness in necessarily in terms of, you know, people's situation, but the fact that there is homelessness and houselessness, the fact that there does exist poverty, that there does exist addictions and, and increase in um, uh, social justice uh, injustices, right? Um, like, where can we go and identify those things? And I, I think that for us and for for you, the the continued question becomes like, how do we look for those things? Like, where where do we go? Where do we see and find where God might be calling us to live out? And I, I don't think all of us need to be pastors or, or deacons or or you know ordained. It's it's all of us who who claim to be followers of Jesus who are part on this journey together to be disciples. Where do we look? Yeah, open your eyes. I think. I mean, well, you know, I was in a conference one time and somebody said, "Well, I live in the suburbs." and we don't have any problems in the suburbs. So we go do mission work downtown in the urban areas. And I was just hitting my head against the wall saying, okay, maybe in your suburb, you don't have poverty. Um, and maybe you, you from the suburbs, you know, can, can work some justice issues instead of mercy issues to, to, you know, get rid of the poverty that you do see in your urban areas. But in your suburban areas, you've got people grieving. You've got people addicted to substances that are harming their lives. You have, you know, people who are victims of domestic violence. You have, you know, all all kinds of other issues where there is that brokenness of spirit in people's homes, regardless of their economic status. And I thought, why don't you why don't you do mission in your home? But I, but I do also think people, people often ask me, well, why do you leave? Why do you go? Why do you travel the world? Like, why do you, why don't you just start with home? Um, you can start with home or you can start with the world. I think everybody should do everything, right? I, you, I, I don't need to stay in a homogenous, you know, world where everybody looks like me, I need to be able to understand God broader than that and go out and travel and do things. But I also have to live, I can't travel all the time for lots of reasons. Part of it is I'm put here in this place and how can I be a disciple in this place? And in our community, uh, there's a, there's a lot of issues that, that need work in the justice arena. We need to get housing affordable. We need to get it accessible. We need to, you know, make sure that people are fed. Um, every community now has suffering. I mean, there are there are places where the church needs to be that place to alleviate the suffering, but, but only doing so in relationship with the neighbors. You have to be in relationship first. Do you know your 90-year-old single widowed neighbor? Do you, you know, there's some probably some love you could offer there. I mean, you don't have to look very far. Um, I would encourage 
looking far as well. We, we need to understand what's going on in other places around the world. We need to hear about that and learn from it. But I don't think it's very hard to, to look around your home and say, yeah, I, I can find my Calcutta here. And I think that there's so much, I mean, it's, so it's, it's very layered because I'm, I'm hearing you talk and I'm, I'm thinking about, well, okay, so as leaders of the church, uh, you and I both as clergy of Bothell, United Methodist Church, and, and, and for those who are listening as, as leaders of communities of faith, there's that task of not only uh, listening to the community and, and hearing the ways that we can partner alongside, but we have the task, I think, the, the, the very uh, unique task of equipping um, the laity, the, the folks who come to our ch- uh, places of faith and community for that uh, inspiration, for that drive, for that uh, to be equipped to be uh, uh, disciples in the community. And then there's also that layer of uh, individuals who are, uh, we have the collective movement of the church together uh, doing action and there's the individuals who people who work for for uh, the local Starbucks and people who work at Google and people and everywhere in between there there's there's opportunities for us to engage our neighbor to love our neighbor um, and so there's a lot of layers there I think that we can unpack but how do you see um, that, you know one of the things that we want to think about is how do we as people of faith um, express that and live that out in the community I think your faith, is a part of who you are, no matter where you are in your life. You and I were called to be clergy, to be ordained into the church, to do leadership in and for and with the church. I wasn't called to be a nurse. I wasn't called to be a teacher. I wasn't called to, um, you know, another career. And people are called to those, those places because those are all just part of the body, right? Um, it's the, the, the congregation is the body of Christ and we've got hands and we've got feet and we've got eyes and we've got ears. So I think there, that, that anybody, any person's faith would go with them into whatever vocation or not they're called into. What do you, what are you thinking about? You know, often I see or experience this compartmentalizing of our faith. You know, I think I think there are times when we as as people of faith try to uh, box it in uh, in the various parts of our lives. Right. I, I know that I even um, think about, OK, this is my work in church time and this is my family time and this is my, you know, um, a music time or this is my, you know, me time where I want to read or this is my, you know, uh, downtime where I'm watching TV. And there's there's times when we uh, compartmentalize different components of our lives or maybe even the different identities. This is me as a dad. This is me as a spouse. This is me as a pastor. This is me it's, and on and on. And I, I wonder how we can um, encourage ourselves and those we are uh, called to lead to um, allow faith to permeate into all aspects of our lives so that it's not just one uh, piece of the whole, but it becomes uh, kind of the foundation of how we choose to live lives. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, it sounds so very Wesleyan. You know, when John Wesley started the church, a whole lot of it was he he was, uh, I don't know if disgusted might be too too strong of a word, but you know, tired of the piousness and, and said, you, get, you know, we've got people suffering in London and um, we need to do something about that. And there's no personal holiness without social holiness. And so, you know, you, it, it, it has to become, you, you have to do both. Um, and that personal holiness comes from, I think, maybe, maybe what you're saying, that, that compartmentalization of, 
you know, this is, I got to have some me time. I have to have my own Sabbath too. I have to I have to take care of me and I have to take care of my family. But you go to bed at night uh, with with your faith still in you. Um, and so I, I don't, I don't know if, if you can compartmentalize that. Well, and even that is rooted in faith, right? If we were to look at our rest time as Sabbath, right? Time with God, right? If we were to look at um, removing distractions as a way of connecting uh, with God because we are called to Sabbath, right? Because we are called to uh, rest and recovery and, and because we are called to uh, a time, intentional time with God, that uh, that already frames differently, uh, how I see um, uh, the very concept of rest. Like we see it from a place, uh, from a lens of faith, as opposed to, you know what, I'm just tired of the world <laughs> and I'm tired of distractions and I just need, you know, time for myself. So I think that's a perfect example of how we could look at vocation uh, through a lens of faith, right? Like some are called to be nurses and teachers and, and uh, accountants and, and everything in between. Like I think that is part of how we can switch on um, this, this idea that the things that we do, outside of church is all impacted and, and maybe found built on the foundation of our faith compelling us to live a certain way. Well, and, and, I, and I think going back to that, I really love the idea of us as a body, you know, because, because we need all those different parts. Um, even, even me called as a deacon and you called as an elder, the difference there, both called to leadership, both called to the church um, deacons are called to bridge the church with the community, bring the community gathered from worship sent into the world and bring that the world and the suffering back to that gathered community. You're called to order and shepherd that gathered community. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. And so, um, there has to be both. And, and in the roles of deacon and elder, you know, we look at it as that's what Jesus, Jesus did both. Um, we have to break it up. <laughs> we can't do both. We're human. So I, you know, I represent as a deacon that that servant in the in the community, that bringer of the communication between the, the congregation and the and the community. Um, and you you are the one who cares for the gathered community. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I, you know, we're going to have you on again soon, um, cause, you know, because some of the things that are happening here in the life of church at Bothell, I'm really excited about, and, and you're spearheading a lot of that as we look at the ways that we can continue living into our purpose of becoming Christ in the community. And so uh, in the coming months, as we continue in our Bothell Urban Project, as we continue on towards uh, addressing affordable housing and homelessness and houselessness in our community, how we uh, continue to combat uh, racism and, be, and, and, and strive towards towards becoming anti-racist uh, as a community. You know, we're going to definitely uh, have you on, but I just wanted to thank you for taking the time today and uh, and and and, and uh, sharing part of your story and, and how we're continuing to be called by God. Sounds good. I look forward to coming back. I, I'd love to talk about the Bothell Urban Project. You just let me know. We'll definitely reach out to you then. Thanks, Kristen. All right, that was my conversation with Reverend Kristen Joyner, the deacon of Bothell United Methodist Church. We are so uh, thankful and grateful for the gifts that she brings to our staff and the ministries here. I hope you were inspired as I am uh, by her ministry and you continue to uh, hear the challenge to live out your faith. Tune in again next week as uh, for another episode of Bothell Amplified. Have a wonderful, wonderful week and we'll see you then.